0: Good morning, church family, for it is wonderful to see all of you here today as we continue this morning working our way through the sixth chapter in the Gospel of Mark, looking specifically today at verses 45 through 52, or where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ walks on water which takes place, church, immediately after what we saw transpire last week in the text or when Jesus Christ fed the 5,000. And that's just to make sure that we are all on the same page here concerning the flow of the narrative in Mark chapter 6. Jesus Christ, at this stage in the text, has sent out his 12 apostles into the villages of Galilee in order to preach to cast out demons, and to heal even that of the sick. However, after this mission or this season of ministry was complete, they, Jesus' apostles then, they returned back to Jesus Christ in order to share with him, verse 30, all that they had done and taught. And because of all they had done and taught... And furthermore, because still so many people were coming and going that they, verse 31, could not even find time to eat, Jesus then says to them in verse 31, to come away by yourselves to a desolate place and to rest a while. And yet as Jesus Christ and his disciples then sail to this desolate place, Many people then, church, see Jesus Christ and his apostles going in their boat and recognize them in their boat and ran ahead of them to this aforementioned desolate place all while they were still in their boat to the point that when Jesus Christ and his apostles finally reached the shores of this desolate place that a great crowd of people was already there waiting for them. And yet Jesus Christ here He doesn't get mad at the crowd here, or yell at the crowd here, or reject the crowd here, dismiss the crowd here, or even try to avoid the crowd here. But instead, Jesus Christ, he has compassion on the crowd here and begins to teach the very Word of God to the crowd here, which was, quite frankly, church, this crowd's ultimate and greatest need. Nevertheless, after some time, Teaching the crowd on that day, Jesus' apostles then, they come and say to Jesus Christ that he needs to send this crowd away in order so that they, the crowd, can get something to eat, since it was getting late and because they were all located in a desolate place. However, instead of sending this rather large crowd away, Jesus Christ then says to his apostles, that they are to go and see how many loaves of bread they do have, which ends up being just five loaves of bread and that of two fish. And thus Jesus Christ then, after saying a blessing here, church, He miraculously then multiplies this bread and these fish to the point that some 5,000 men on that day, church, or some 10,000 people on that day, church, men, women, and children, verse 42, all ate and were satisfied, displaying a beautiful picture here of Jesus Christ as the good shepherd of the sheep, as the bread of life, and as the greater Moses who has come to meet all the needs of his people, care for them abundantly, and give to them true and complete and perfect satisfaction in his eternal kingdom and at his heavenly table forever and ever and ever, which is exactly where, church, we are going to pick up in the text this morning, and which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, for you have no reason to fear the storms of life or to harden your hearts toward Jesus Christ, since Jesus Christ is truly God. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this, Christian, for you have no reason to fear the storms of life or to harden your hearts toward Jesus Christ, since Jesus Christ is truly God. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 6 this morning, specifically to verses 45 through 52. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you this morning. However, the only thing we ask, if indeed you do take and keep one, is that you read it starting today by turning to page 842, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 6 this morning, church, looking specifically at verses 45 through 52, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Immediately he came to his disciples, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask, in you, this, ask you this morning to soften our hearts. Father, how quick we are, despite knowing that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for our sins, despite knowing all the supernatural works, the miraculous miracles that Jesus Christ has performed. How quickly do we, Father, begin to doubt Jesus Christ, begin to dismiss Jesus Christ, and harden our hearts toward Jesus Christ when the things in this life don't go exactly the way we want them to? And then we bring them in to the sanctuary on the Lord's day, and we become too hard-headed and too hard-hearted to hear, to receive, and to respond faithfully to your Word. Father, forgive us of our sins. And we pray that you soften our hearts this morning, that you open our eyes, that you open our ears and help us this morning to see the beauty of your word, to receive the beauty of your word, and to be transformed by the beauty of your word. A word that is infallible, inerrant, and perfectly sufficient for all of our needs. And Father, I pray for help this morning as well. Lord, help my lisping and stammering tongue to communicate well to these dear sheep, this beautiful flock, the blessings that you have given us in your Word. Help them see Jesus Christ this morning, the one who not only does the things that you can do, God, but the one who declared to the world that he is God. Help us, Father, to see Jesus Christ like never before this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, for we have no reason to fear the storms of life, since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is truly God. Christian, for we have no reason to fear the storms of life, since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is truly God. Verses 45 through 50, which reads, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray But immediately he spoke to them and said, "'Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid.'" So right after Jesus Christ feeds the 5,000 in verses 30 through 44, as we then see in the Gospel of John Church, in John chapter 6, the people then who were in the crowd on that day, they wanted to make Jesus Christ king and that they wanted to make Jesus Christ their revolutionary king, if you will, against that of Rome. However, Jesus Christ, he came into this world not to rise up as some revolutionary king against Rome, but instead Jesus Christ, he came into this world as the king of the kingdom of God in order to give his life up as a ransom for many and to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, in order to keep his apostles from being swept up by the excitement and the fanfare and the pandemonium of the crowd on this day, Jesus Christ then immediately, verse 45, made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, almost Forcibly here, church gathering his disciples away from the crowd, getting them into this boat and then pushing them out to sea in order to keep them from getting swept up by these same revolutionary desires. And yet Jesus Christ does then yet, once Jesus Christ does this and dismisses the rest of the crowd on this day, Jesus Christ, then, as we see in verse 46, he then goes up on the mountain to pray. In essence, displaying quite clearly here, church, that his ultimate desire is still to follow the will of his Father and not that of the will of the people. And nevertheless, as evening then sets in, Jesus Christ then sees that the boat in which his apostles were on, which was, mind you, church, about three to four miles away from the land at this time, John chapter 6 that it was now making headway painfully because, verse 48, the wind was against them. Or as the NIV puts it, Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So much so that Jesus Christ then who was located on the land at this time, that at about the fourth watch of the night, or during the time frame from about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., that he, Jesus Christ, then leaves the land and goes out to his apostles by verse 48, walking on the sea, and not by walking on the shores of the sea church, nor by walking on a sandbar in the sea church, and most certainly not by walking on a deck by the sea church, but instead Jesus Christ, he goes out to his apostles here quite literally by walking on the sea in order, as we see in verse 48, to pass by them, which naturally then, leads to the question, for why on earth does Jesus Christ here walk out to his apostles here in the middle of the night here, all while they're straining at the oars and are in serious trouble here, only to then pass by them here? And the most logical answer to that question, church, in my most humble opinion, seems to actually stem from that of the Old Testament— or specifically from the book of Exodus, when Moses in Exodus chapter 33 says to God, show me your glory. Only for God then to respond back to Moses by saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Behold, there is a place by me while you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And similarly, Jesus Christ seems to desire to pass by his apostles here, in order to display to him, them his divine glory and goodness as well. And yet, despite this magnificent display of the divine glory and goodness of Jesus Christ here, as he quite literally walks on top of the sea, Jesus' apostles then, for they are not comforted by this divine display, but instead, as we see in verse 50, they are terrified By it, because they think that what they are seeing is, verse 49, that of a ghost, or that of a spirit, or hallucination, or some kind of illusion, but most certainly not that of Jesus Christ. And thus, because of that, church, Jesus Christ then immediately says to them in verse 50, "'Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid.'" And although Jesus Christ is obviously making it known to his apostles here that it is most definitely not a ghost here, nor a spirit here, nor a hallucination or illusion, or even that of the boogeyman here, but that it is instead truly that of Jesus Christ here, even more than that, Jesus Christ also seems to be claiming here that he is truly divine as well. And I say that because when Jesus Christ says in verse 50, it is I, or ego, emi in the Greek, those are the same Greek words, church, used by God in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, as numerous commentators have pointed out, when God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, reveals himself to Moses as, I am who I am. And thus, Jesus Christ isn't just displaying to his apostles here, church, that he is divine by walking on the water and by doing the things that only God can do, but in using God's self-revelation formula from Exodus chapter 3, Jesus Christ also seems to be saying to his apostles here that he truly is God in the flesh as well, which is why then, church, the apostles here do not need to fear since the one who made them get into this boat and who pushed them out into the water and who saw them, came to them, and who spoke to them, church, is truly God. For as author Barrett Yoss, in her book A Wardrobe from the King, shares that many years ago a man sought the perfect picture of peace, And in not finding any that satisfied him, he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece. And the challenge, it stirred the imaginations of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived from all over the world. And finally, when the day came to reveal the paintings, the judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another, all while the viewers clapped and cheered. However, the tensions grew as only two pictures remain veiled. And as a judge pulled the cover off one, a hush fell over the crowd, for it was a picture of a crystal-clear lake reflecting lacy green trees under the soft blush of an evening sky. And along the grassy shore was a flock of sheep grazing undisturbed, for surely this had to be the winner. However, the man who had the vision uncovered the second painting himself, to which the crowd gasped at in surprise. For how could this be peace? For it was a picture of a tumultuous waterfall cascading down a steep rocky face with stormy gray clouds threatening to explode with lightning and wind and rain. However, in the midst of this scene was a tall thin tree which hung from the rocks on the edge of the falls, and on one of its branches a little bird had built a nest. And content and undisturbed by the stormy surroundings, the mother bird rested on her eggs. And with her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she displayed a peace there that transcended all earthly turmoil. For you see, church, as the Nineteenth-century Scottish minister Alexander McLaren writes, Peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but instead from the presence of God. And thus, if you are sitting there this morning, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, caught up at this time in the storms of life, whereas your work is beating on you, sickness is smacking against you and the hardships of parenting are downright draining you, then let me lovingly remind you, Christian, that Jesus Christ not only sees you in the midst of your storms, but even more than that, Jesus Christ is also with you in the midst of your storms, which means then, Christian, that you have absolutely nothing that you need to fear since God himself is with you, Christian, in the midst of your storms. Therefore, Take heed this morning, Christian. Be of good cheer this morning, Christian. And let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, be a balm to your heart and your mind this morning, Christian, as you grasp the fact that Jesus Christ, the great I Am, is with you, Christian, even during the storms. Which brings us to point number two. Do not let any hardness of heart keep you from seeing Jesus Christ as he truly is. Do not let any hardness of heart keep you from seeing Jesus Christ as he truly is. Verses 51 and 52, which read, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So after Jesus Christ walks on water, and in essence says that he is truly God, Jesus Christ then, as we see in verse 51, gets into the boat with his apostles here, and the wind the same wind church that was previously blowing against them and keeping them from making much headway and putting them into some serious trouble, that aforementioned wind church, as we see in verse 51, it ceased, likely implying here that another miracle has taken place, whereas Jesus Christ once again, as truly God, somehow and some way calmed the storm which absolutely leaves Jesus' apostles here utterly astounded, similar to how they were, church, after Jesus Christ calmed the storm back in Mark chapter 4. Nevertheless, despite them being utterly astounded here at Jesus Christ, as we then see in verse 52, and as John Mark almost curiously writes, they, Jesus' apostles then, did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Or again, as the New Living Translation puts it, the apostles still did not understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves because their hearts were too hard to take it in. And what John Mark seems to be getting at here, Church, in verse 52, as theologian Walter Wessel puts it, is that if they, Jesus' apostles, had truly understood the loaves, and that it was the sovereign God of the universe in action there, then they would have been prepared to understand Jesus Christ walking on water and calming the waves. For their problem here was a Christological one, church. Or to put it another way, the apostles' problem here was that they still did not understand the identity of who Jesus Christ truly was. Because, verse 52, their hearts Were hardened. Which, make no mistake about it, church, is not an ideal place to be. For to paraphrase Robert Murray McShane here, for on a winter evening when the frost is setting in and growing with intensity, and when the sun has set, there is a double reason for why the ground becomes harder and harder to penetrate. Because on the one hand, the frost of the evening with its ever-increasing intensity, is hardening the earth, and furthermore, because the warm rays of the sun that can soften the hard ground are at each moment moving further and further away. Therefore, take heed that this does not happen to you, that the frost and the coldness of the dark is hardening your soul, and that the sun of righteousness is beginning to drift further and further away. And thus lovingly, brother Christian, sister Christian, for although I have already reminded you today that you have absolutely nothing that you need to fear, since Jesus Christ, the great I Am, is with you, Christian, even during the storms Let me also then, Christian, lovingly warn you today to not harden your hearts toward Jesus Christ or to begin to doubt the goodness, the kindness, the sovereignty, or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, but to instead preach to yourself, Christian, each and every day that Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, not only broke into this world and walked on water— and calmed the storm, fed the 5,000, healed the sick, cleansed the leper, and did the things that only God himself can do. But even more than that, Christian, Jesus Christ also then, as the very Son of God, kept the very law of God, bore the very wrath of God, died for the very children of God, and defeated the very enemy of God, only to then ascend into heaven and to sit at the very right hand of God. Therefore, For do not ever, Christian, under any circumstance harden your heart toward Jesus Christ or begin to doubt that of Jesus Christ, but instead let your heart be filled with worship toward Jesus Christ, since Jesus Christ can do what only God himself can do, which means then, Christian, that Jesus Christ is truly God. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I want to begin with the non-Christian who was here first. And non-Christian, if you are sitting there this morning with a heart of stone, hostile toward the things of God, doubtful of the things of God, and quite literally rejecting the things of God, then please, please, please... Hear and see and feel this morning, non-Christian, the warm and beautiful light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man in order to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sin. And he did that for us, non-Christian, by initially living for us the life that we could never live. Meaning that although he, Jesus Christ, was born under the law of God, just like you and I, he, Jesus Christ, never broke that law once, but instead lived a holy and sinless and righteous life here on earth, and thus fulfilled perfectly and completely the very law of God, non-Christian, for the very children of God. However, fulfilling the very law of God for the very children of God, that in and of itself was not enough non-Christian to save sinners from their sins. And I say that because the wage of sin non-Christian or the cost of sin non-Christian is that of death. And thus because of that, Jesus Christ then not only lived the life that we could not live But also then, non-Christian, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins that we could not pay by willingly giving up his life on a cross at Calvary and by dying a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself, non-Christian, never ever sinned. However, being non-Christian, that Jesus Christ did indeed never ever sin. And furthermore being that God the Father accepted Jesus Christ as a perfect sacrifice on behalf of his children, sin and death and non-Christian, quite literally, could not keep the sinless Son of God dead. And thus, three days later than Jesus Christ, he did not remain dead, but instead he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in Him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who died for your sin and can clothe you then in His perfect life, in His righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, Christian, that your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh and you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you are forgiven of your sins and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, thus far this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I have reminded you all that you have absolutely nothing that you need to fear, since Jesus Christ, the great I Am, is with you, Christian, even during the storms. And furthermore, I have also warned you all this morning to not harden your hearts toward Jesus Christ, or to begin to doubt the goodness, the sovereignty, or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And thus, because of that, I want us to focus now on how we as Christians can overcome this temptation of hardening our hearts toward Jesus Christ or beginning to doubt that of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to do so, or in order to do that, I'd like to do so by considering briefly that of verse 46 this morning, which reads, church, that after Jesus had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And what's so interesting here, church, is that only three times in the Gospel of Mark does John Mark make note of Jesus Christ taking time away to pray. For he does so in Mark chapter 1, after Jesus heals many and the whole city of Capernaum starts looking for him. Here in Mark chapter 6, after the crowd wants to make Jesus Christ their revolutionary king. And then in Mark chapter 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus Christ prays, Father, remove this cup from me. Or in essence, as one commentator puts it, we see Jesus Christ withdrawing to pray when some sort of crisis appears, which involves the temptation for Jesus Christ to not carry out his Father's mission. And thus, if Jesus Christ then, church, went to his heavenly Father in prayer when he was faced with temptation, then how much more then should we, brother Christian, sister Christian, go to our heavenly Father in prayer, say, when the temptation to harden our hearts toward Jesus Christ, or the temptation to begin to doubt that of Jesus Christ comes knocking at the door. Because the reality of all of this is this, Christian. For the one who is tempting you, make no mistake about it, is a powerful, powerful foe who is seeking, Christian, to trick you and entice you confuse you and deceive you, overtake you and devour you, demolish you, and ultimately to destroy you. However, and here is the good and the critical news that you have got to hear this morning, Christian, that God, your heavenly Father, has already promised to you, Christian, that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but that with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure. it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in that God, your heavenly Father, Christian, has the ability to strengthen you, to empower you, to help you, and to guide you faithfully through each and every temptation that you will face. Which is why then, Christian, that when you are faced with the temptation to harden your hearts toward Jesus Christ or to begin to doubt that of Jesus Christ, that you must go boldly, Christian, to the throne of grace and to pray to your heavenly Father to give you the grace you need to help you in your unbelief and to deliver you from the temptations of the evil one. And he can do that for you, Christian, because Jesus Christ has already won won the war for you, Christian, which means that sin no longer reigns or has dominion over you Christian. Therefore pray without ceasing Christian to the Father through the Son and in the Holy Spirit when the temptation to harden your heart toward Jesus Christ or to begin to doubt that of Jesus Christ comes knocking at your door since the God of all grace can give you Christian the grace you need so that you will be able to endure it. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body fight back against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers, and against all the spiritual forces of evil with the power of prayer. Because we know, Father that even as the children of God, that we still sin, that we still struggle with sin, and that we still struggle with doubt and fear and anxiety and even that of hardness of heart. Therefore, Father, when we feel these temptations arise, Lord, remind us that we have not been called to fight these battles alone, but to instead rely on the one who has already won the war for us. Therefore, let us be quick, Father, in those moments of weakness, weakness and of temptation and of doubt to fall on our knees to draw near to the throne of grace and to go to you in prayer knowing full well that you have the power God to keep us to guide us to strengthen us and to deliver us from all the temptations of the evil one all until the day that you call us home father into your eternal glory let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord, the point of Jesus Christ coming out to his apostles was not to take each and every issue and concern and struggle and trouble away from them. He came out to them to display to him his glory to display to them that he is with them even in the midst of the storm, that Jesus Christ, the one who can do what only God can do, who says, who declares, who claims that he is God himself, Lord, that he is with his apostles even in their time of need. Father, let that comfort our hearts this morning as we go through trial and sickness and pain, and any financial issues or parenting issues that we may have, that we have God with us, that Jesus Christ sees us, that He comes to us, and yes, He can calm the storm for us, but even if He allows the storm to rage on, we have nothing that we need to fear, because God, the great I Am, is with us. us when these things come up in our lives, Father, let us not be quick to doubt the goodness of Jesus Christ, or to get frustrated, Jesus Christ, or to harden our hearts toward Jesus Christ, but instead, let our hearts be filled with worship, knowing that we have God with us, even in the midst of our storms. Open our eyes to that reality, I pray, Father, and let's a peace that surpasses all understanding, come over us as we deal with the storms of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.